the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. My guest today is Jennifer Summa. She's the group facilitator for the Shoreline Hurting Parents, uh, Hope for Hurting Parents. And uh, Jennifer, I want to welcome you today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you and I have had a, a chance just to chat a little bit before we've recorded this, but your uh, your message and your story, I know, I know, is going to relate to a lot of people. And a lot of people will relate to your story because they have either gone through or are currently going through dealing with a loved one who's who's dealing with addictions. Yeah. And um I'd just love for you to just to kind of share your your story and your daughter's story briefly to just kind of set up our discussion. Yeah. Our um our journey this season of life started about eleven years ago and um it was a very shocking, unexpected thing. Um she was, you know, very easygoing child, very, you know, uh, com- compliant, um, not anything that you would expect. And uh, I remember going down to wake her up for school one morning, and the downstairs was cold. And I thought, wow, that's weird. So I knocked on her door, and it was locked. And uh, so I got the key, and I opened it. We've got one of those little twisty key things. And mm-hmm. so I opened her bedroom door and went in, and she was gone. And my first instinct was, my Lord and my God, someone has stolen my child. That was my first instinct. The thought of her running away didn't even cross my mind. And um, so how old, I, how old was she? Uh, she was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I screamed. It woke our other daughter up. You know, my husband thinks the world's coming to an end. He's like, what's the matter? Mm, yeah. And um, we started into crisis mode and we had no idea where she was or what was going on. We didn't ever expect, you know, this was a a kid who was too afraid to ask somebody at the grocery store how much something cost. You know, she was just kind of timid a little bit. So the thought of her running away in the middle of the night would never cross my mind. Um, And as the weeks unfolded, um, we found out that this had been going on for six months. And she had a boyfriend who was not a good influence on her. And, you know, he was a nice kid. We didn't have anything against him, but, you know, just a clash of world views Mm -hmm. between his family and our family. And, um, yeah, it started us on a journey of lying and sneaking around and destructive behavior and um, drug use. And, And, you know, we we went through this for 18 months with her before it finally came to a head and she ended up finishing high school in Spokane with some family friends because she had cut classes to the point of where she wasn't going to graduate. She had broken the rules at home so many times that 
she wasn't allowed to stay there because that was the the line we had crossed. We had a 12-year-old daughter who was watching all of this unfold, and, you know, we we were in uncharted territory. Yeah. So uh, it was very prayerful. It was very intentional. My husband and I were very much um, in agreement of what it was going to look like. And surprisingly, you know, when that finally did happen, there was a lot of isolation at church. There was a lot of judgment at church. And I want to be very, very clear. We were not perfect parents. We didn't do everything right all the time. I would love to say that we didn't yell or scream when we found out she was cutting class. That's not the case. Mm -hmm. And um, it it was a hard season for all of us. Um, But we, you know, we ended up in this situation where it was like, all right, how do we how do we make her whole again? How do we get her to a place where she can be whole again? And um, it was really in this season where God started to reveal his heart for me. I remember being face down on the living room floor that morning. We had been in the book of Job, 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 mm-hmm. journaling. Woke up that morning, Jordan was gone. Um, if you have a life journal, you can track because it's the same reading every year. And the next morning, I remember waking up and my husband and I were just heartbroken. We were in tears. She was still gone. And... Um, and we just said, Lord, we just need you to throw us a bone. We just need some hope this morning. And it was Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And in that psalm, it talks about how he never slumbers or sleeps. And while I was asleep in bed, my daughter was sneaking out. God was there. He saw her. And uh, I remember just going face down on the living room floor the day that she disappeared and uh, just saying, God, could you not spare me one thing, just my daughter? And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, I didn't spare you, my son. Mm-hmm. And not that he was doing this to harm me in any way, but it's there are some things where, you know, as parents, we're entrusted with the kids that we're entrusted with intentionally by God. His plan and his design is perfect. And I think in a lot of ways, Jordan has taught me so much about being a parent. Um, and things sin in my own life that I hadn't dealt with. And then seeing that carried out in her life and in our family as I'm like, God, she just won't listen. He's like, yeah, I know you're the same way. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just trying to protect her. He's like, yeah, I know you're the same way. And all of a sudden I became in touch with his heart in a way. And there's been amazing things that have come out of it, but it's, it's still been a very painful season. And as a parent, And in Western culture, you know, really everything is about your children should be happy and well-adjusted. And if if they're not happy, you failed. And I don't see that in Scripture as I've studied and studied and studied. God is far more interested in my wholeness than he is in my happiness. He doesn't want to make me miserable. But at the same time, he's not going to leave things in my life unchecked Mm -hmm. Um, because I do think my husband said one day um, when we were starting to go through this, he said, it is possible to love her into hell. And it was a huge wake up call. Like, wow, these we're going to have to make some hard decisions. And all throughout scripture, we see God making hard decisions for his kids that he didn't want to make. And, you know, but the difference is he's the perfect parent. And how do I reconcile what I see is mistakes that I made as a mom, my shortcomings, my shortcomings um, with what we're dealing with now. Well, wow. I, I could go down so many different trails <laughs> just from your these, these last four minutes because 
sometimes when people are in addictions, they have a way of of throwing those failures of you as a parent right back into your face. Oh, yeah, we've had that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, and that's part of their manipulation of you. Mm-hmm. As you're dealing with your issues with the Lord, all of a sudden they they know yeah, that that kid knows, yeah, and so then they start they start digging at it because they want to make that as an excuse as to why they're doing what they're doing. It's the the, the dynamics are so deep on so many different levels. There's so many things going on that at times it can be destructive to you as a parent, to your relationship with your kid, with your spouse. All sorts of things can happen, can't they? Absolutely. It yeah. touches on every level, on spiritual, does. emotional, physical. Yeah. Now, your daughter grew up Christian family, yep. pretty much Christian family. Yeah. Mom no, and I got dad love when she was a year old. Yeah, so. mom and dad love each other, yep. pretty middle class, yep. you know, well respected, yep. all of those things. It can really happen in any family, can it? Whether it's low income, high income, wherever. Well, you know, Tom and Dina Yoe, who are the founders of Hope for Hurting Parents, who she's become a dear friend of mine in this journey. Um, you know, they were crew missionaries, you know, uh, idyllic. They were wonderful parents. They had been married a long time before they had kids. Like, my husband came from a wonderful Christian home with the two best parents anybody could ever ask for. He rebelled against them, and actually that's how we met was in that season of rebellion. So, yeah, it doesn't... It's rich, it's poor, it's black, it's white, it's... Christian, prodigal, pro, Yeah, prodigals are prodigals. And whether the parents are Christian or not... The hurt's still the same. Exactly. The hurt is still the same. It but is. the answers are different. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, when when you have a loved one and, and you don't know the Lord and they're, they're in an addiction, sometimes things can appear hopeless. And mm-hmm. as believers, we ultimately have a hope in in something that is above our own devices to, to uh, minister to our Amen. kids. Amen. Absolutely. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I have a son that's going through the exact same thing your daughter is mm-hmm. right now. And we've Sorry. been dealing with this for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Christian family, you know, was was raised in church, the, the whole thing. Yeah. But yet, um, you know, I've had to come to the point of understanding that um, God is a heavenly father that loves my son more than I do. Absolutely. And he knows when when he's on the street, the Lord knows when he's on the streets, the Lord knows exactly where he is, even when I don't. That's absolutely right. And that's the only thing that keeps me sane. Abs- oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I remember I had just started volunteering at Union Gospel Mission when we entered into the second season of this. So we had... From 2009 to about, well, 2010 to 2015 was very, very good. We were very close. Um, Things were going well. This was after the two-year period. Yeah, this was after. So she finished high school um, out of the area and came back, and um, she met a young man, Um, she was back with the first boyfriend for a season and we were just praying at that point that God would either move this kid or remove him, Mm -hmm. just move his heart or take him out of her life. And she had met this other young man and, um, and started being involved with him. They, um, they went through a, a journey where they, they got married and, um, you know, it was, 
it was really hopeful. Um, he accepted the Lord. He His first communion was at their wedding. Um, it was really exciting, but I think, you know, our upbringing and our worldviews are very deeply ingrained, and sometimes that can pull us backwards, and mm-hmm. that I f- seem as, it seems like that's what's happened here. Um, but nonetheless, we ended up um, about three years ago, just there was this break, and again, didn't see it coming. Things were kind of off for a couple of months, but by all intents and purposes, it looked good. It just felt off. And um, there were some triggers that we noticed, you know, anytime her hair would go a crazy color or she would change her appearance, it usually meant something wasn't right. Right. And and it's interesting in talking with other parents, the dress changed or the music changed or something. There was a, a definite physical, I don't want to call it necessarily a manifestation, but it, it was a, yeah. an appearance change. Mm-hmm. And so that happened. And all of a sudden, I, I remember my senses, my spidey senses started tingling. And I was like, uh. And then by the holidays, things were bad. And then by um, March, it was over. And the hard part was by this time, we now had three grandkids that were involved that we had a really good relationship with. And, you know, I would keep trying to bring presents over and drop stuff off at the house, just letting them know, hey, like, I'm, you know, we don't need to see each other, but I'm bringing stuff by for the kids. Right. These are the times I'm going to do it. And then it was, no, I don't want you to even do that. And it was like, okay, then I'll mail them. And then it was a nasty email back, not even that. And, um, and then you're like, okay. And so I had just started helping at Union Gospel Mission. I had been involved for maybe about a year at this point. And I remember it was Tuesday morning, and it just, I was so hopeless. I felt so desolate. Um, I, I just felt broken. And I woke up, and I, I just said, God, I can't even get out of bed. Like, I'm just... The, the new norm, this is the new norm. Mm-hmm. When that realization came, realization came in that I'm going to be struggling through this maybe for the rest of my life with this particular relationship and the brokenness of it and the impact on the next generation and my part in it with my own unforgiveness and anger that I had not dealt with until, you know, this season, um, just all of that became this crushing weight. And um, I was supposed to go down and lead journaling that day at Hope at Hope Place. And um, I remember saying, God, I've got nothing to give today. I have nothing. And he said, well, if this is about you, don't ever go back hmm. because this is. And it was the first time that I really felt like God wanted me to go in that vulnerable, broken state. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got in the car, and it was actually a sunny day. It was very nice, and I was on I-5 headed south. And by the time I hit Northgate, there was literally just this wall of fog. If you're from Seattle, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Sunny in your front yard and rainy in your backyard. And I literally drove into this wall of gloom, and that's the only way to describe it. It was gray. It was cold. The sun was gone. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, look up just look up. And I looked up and there behind the clouds, bright as could be, was the sun. The sun was still there. Even though I couldn't really feel it, the feeling of happiness was gone. The warmth Mm -hmm. was gone. God was still, he was saying, I'm still in this. That you don't have to pretend everything is okay. You don't have to isolate yourself. And then there, my other daughter, one of my other daughters shared with me 
the scripture that says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And we usually stop right there. But the rest of it says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I spent so many days just contemplating that verse. And I think we spend a lot of time as Christians focused on, you know, if God's happy with me, then I'm going to be blessed. And if Hmm. things are hard, then it's because he's unhappy with me or because I failed him in some area. And, And it was during that season that God said, what what about Calvary? And so I went back in my journaling and I went through the story of Calvary. And that day, it was a failure. His friends were gone. He was nailed to a cross. Everybody was mocking him. And God said, "We, you see it in hindsight. You see the resurrection. That's the goggles we look at that story through, Mm -hmm. which is exactly the goggles that he looks at this story through. And so all of a sudden it became a very, a more, I'm not going to say a very hopeful. It's, I have my good days and my bad days where I'm like, I'm going to make it through this. Um, and then other days where it's like, man, I'm just struggling to get through today. You know, it's a, it's a constant grieving process because when somebody's died, it's over. But when they're still alive and they're out there and it's a broken relationship, there is no closure. There, It's something, and this is something that other moms, as I've shared it with them, they're like, oh, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what we went through. Well, you're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, and with me is Jennifer Summa. She's the group facilitator at Shoreline Hurting Parents, part of the Hope for Hurting Parents organization. And... Um, How's your how's the sibling doing? How's your daughter doing? We what act- is it, what is that like for for a for a daughter to watch her parents go through the hurt and then obviously she's seeing her own hurt and feeling that broken relationship too and then trying to deal with all of that. Uh it's been very very hard. Um the the day that that the day that that our daughter crossed that final line again. And there were many, many lines in the sand and many, Mm -hmm. many opportunities. And the day that she crossed that final line, it was, um, it was so hard on my daughter, the, her sister to, um, see that. And it was such a, it was a hopeful thing. She loved, she loved her sister and they had a, they had some fun times together, but then also hearing about, some of the abusive um, interactions that they had. It was like, wow, I I didn't even know that was happening. Mm-hmm. And so it's this bittersweet, like, I miss her, but I'm so angry at her for putting our family through this over and over again. I love her, but I don't know if I could ever trust her again. Um, I I want her back, but our family is so much healthier because when you have this one who puts the family in chaos all the time, as parents, we just we kind of go to that lowest common denominator, and we're like, "Well, that's what needs our attention right now," mm-hmm. and we don't really think about the other children that are suffering around. Um, we adopted my other, the daughter, the younger daughter. Mm-hmm. We adopted her best friend as a sophomore in high school who had a similar upbringing to mine, which was um, parents were addicted and not a good situation, and she opposite of our our daughter wanted to do her own thing and live her own life well this 16 year old girl was like I've got these bad friends I'm starting to do bad things I want more for my life than my parents had and so we brought her into our house and so it was kind of this it was a weird 
situation in that we had, you know, this other, this new daughter that came into this situation as a teenager, almost at the same age that our other daughter said, I don't want anything to do with how you've raised me. I don't want to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. Your values mean nothing to me. And then we've got this other daughter and not that we didn't ride a razor's edge there there were a couple of times where we're like look the <laughs> rules are the rules you right, know right what the rules we have for all the other kids apply to you too and mm-hmm. and she had some choices to make and she made the right choices um so those two daughters um having gone through this and they're now everybody's married um you know having them see this season and have them say i don't even know where she's coming up with these things I don't understand and you know it's if it was just she's mad at me and dad okay that's one thing but it's grandparents it's siblings it's it's just hard it is it's that prodigal son story and so it's given me a new appreciation for the prodigal son story in that I kept thinking Lord I could never be that father in that story and he said, well, you could never be the father in that story. I'm the father in this story. Mm-hmm. Your job is to not be the older sibling when that mm. child comes back. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that's please prepare my heart for that because that's the last thing I want to do is rake her over the coals when prayerfully, hopefully, she does have a change of heart. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, at times we, uh, on this program, we have people share their stories, and, and oftentimes it's over several years. And then, they, you know, and all of us as believers, obviously, we're still walking through our faith. But typically there's this sense of resolution where the <laughs> Lord's finally made this revelation and they've come, they finally got it, you know, mm-hmm. and their life is better. We're telling a story right now that you're in the process of right now that mm-hmm. you don't know the end. Yeah. And oftentimes that can be disconcerting for people who want to have just this kind of— uh, well, they want to get it done in a in a half hour version because right. they want to know what resolution is. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that's not life, is it? No, it's not. We don't know what that end is for our loved one. We know the hope we have is in Jesus. That's right. But we don't know. And um that's what's uh and obviously we want to try to, you know, we have I'm sure like you, uh, you know, at least I know we do. We have friends and associates that are not believers that know our situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, they're saying, yeah, you're a Christian family, but look at what you're going through. And it's like, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. We are. Yeah. And we are not perfect, but this is the reality of, of where we're at. Just like everybody else in the world, we're going through someone, a loved one that has an addiction. That's right. And uh, the final answer hasn't been given yet as far as what the total outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Hope for Hurting Parents, when when someone comes to your group, what do you do? It's really a support group. Um, You know, it's a group to learn. It's not a Bible study, but it is Bible-based. And so it it deals with the practical nuts and bolts of safeguarding relationships and protecting those other kids and, you know, safeguarding your marriage. But it also deals with, you know, where did we enable our kids? Where do we need to make some of those hard decisions? Um, Where do we need to get our hearts right with God? So it's really a holistic approach. It's not just focused on how do we fix our kids? Um, Because, Hmm. you know, just like when you get in an airplane, and they say, you know, you're they're going through the safety spiel, and they're like, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then you can help others, right? It's really focuses on a lot of, you know, self healing and self care, and um, your relationship with the Lord. And then from there, 
how to make your relationship with your children healthy again and dealing with those destructive behaviors and those, um, you know, accusing lies because we do have an enemy who's prowling around looking to destroy us. And boy, this is as close to self-destruction as I could get. Well, these addictions not only hurt our relationship with our, our, um, with our child, but also can be incredibly stressful on marriages. Oh yeah. And and so if you if you're not on the even when you are on the same page, <laughs> when you're going through these stresses, it can just be incredibly difficult. And that's where having a, a group of like-minded people who are able to just help bear your burdens can be so important. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today. I've been speaking with uh, Jennifer Suma, Sama. <laughs> She's a group facilitator at Hope for Hurting Parents. And if you want to reach out to Jennifer, you can go to Shoreline Hurting Parents at Outlook.com and uh, email her and she'll reach out back to you. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on A20 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmsted, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.